message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We are glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and you might want to stick a finger in Hebrews chapter 1, because we're also going to consider that passage as well. And kids, I want to invite you to be listening for the following three things during the sermon this morning. First, be listening for a story about hearing aids, a story of hearing aids. Second, be listening for the definition of a prophet. What was a prophet? And third, listen for a story about a baby hearing its mother's voice. A story about a baby hearing its mother's voice. Well, as we've already mentioned, this morning begins what's known as the season of Advent for the church around the world. And Advent is a word that means arrival or coming. It's a season where the church collectively gets a chance to look backwards at the first coming of Jesus in humility alongside looking forward to the second coming of Jesus in glory. It's a season that's meant to be characterized by waiting and longing and hoping in the promises of God. Advent is a season that leads us to the joy and the excitement of Christmas Day and Christmas season. And during this season of Advent, the quiet and the patience that characterizes this season is actually meant to shape and form us in hope and anticipation of what God promises to do. One of the most popular questions that we ask when we first meet someone is the question, what do you do? Now, you could argue that we could come up with a better question than that, one that's less utilitarian maybe, but it would be a bit strange to introduce yourself to a stranger and ask, tell me who you are, as much as we might like to do that. When we ask someone what they do for a living, we're breaking the ice. We're engaging in cultural pleasantries, you might say. And when we learn about what someone does with their life, it reveals important things about what they find important and worthwhile, what they're driven by. Well, over the next four Sundays, as we engage in this Advent season, we'll be moving through a four-week sermon series focusing on what Jesus came to do. You might know that theologians, they make a distinction between the person and the work of Jesus when it comes to how they study Him. The person of Jesus is who He is, fully God, fully man, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and came to visit us back in the first century. That's the person of Jesus. But we could also discuss the work of Jesus. And to do that, we might ask, what did He come to do? What does Jesus do? And the way Christians have spoken about the work of Jesus since the Reformation is to look at his work under three general headings. The headings of prophet, priest, and king. These are referred to as the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And we're going to spend some time considering the work of Jesus this Advent by looking at these three offices that he holds. In the fourth Sunday, we'll actually wrap it up together by looking at how Jesus is the new man. He's the new Adam, the perfect man where all three offices come together. And as we launch into our Advent sermon series this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus as our great prophet. And to do that, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. 
which will hopefully allow us to see that God always intended to send His Son, the second person of the Trinity, to speak to His people words of truth. To see that thread running through the Scripture, let's begin by reading Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. The Lord, this is Moses speaking, by the way. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command them. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now let's turn our attention to the first four verses of the letter addressed to the Hebrews. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving week. We enjoyed hosting my side of the family this past week as they came to visit us from Memphis. My grandparents actually had the chance to come and be with us this past week, which is significant because they're getting a little bit older and it's harder for them to travel these days. And one of the things that is new for my grandparents that I learned about this week is that my grandfather recently got new hearing aids because it was becoming increasingly hard for him to hear what other people were saying to him. My grandparents actually told some pretty funny stories about how he would misunderstand my grandmother and it would lead to arguments. I mean, can you imagine that? A needless argument being triggered because one person misunderstood the benign thing the other person said. Now that my grandfather can actually hear and understand my grandmother, hopefully we're thinking they'll experience more peace and connection over the coming months and years. But it's not a bad image to have in our mind as we begin to consider Jesus as our prophet. Because this office that Jesus holds is all about speaking and teaching. It requires one who speaks and one who listens. It's an office that requires two parties engaging with one another. Now, we immediately run into problems when we consider our side of the equation as good listeners are hearers of God's message. You might say that we are a group of people who desperately need hearing aids. We run into a number of different reasons for this, both internal and external. Internally, we have been impacted by sin. 
Sin has come and it has corrupted every part of our person, which means that sin has affected the way that we listen. It's affected our ability to hear the good and beautiful and true word of God. In short, we can't hear correctly anymore due to sin. Due to sin, we misunderstand. We oftentimes get confused. We simply don't want to hear what might cross our own desires. We have an internal problem when it comes to hearing correctly. You might say that our ears are stopped up, that we can't hear the word of God unless God himself comes and opens our ears, or as the psalmist says, unless God digs us out ears. But we also have problems not just internally, we have problems externally with how we listen. I mean, through any given week, you are bombarded with a number of different messages every day. Now, some messages are benign. Some messages that we receive might be encouraging and true. Other messages that we hear are false and even evil. And we are shaped and formed by many different voices and teachings, and most of the time, we don't even stop and realize it. I mean, it's just the water in which we swim. I'm sure that some of you have heard the Latin phrase, vox populi, vox dei. It means the voice of the people is the voice of God. And it's how we typically operate in our context and culture, if you think about it. In fact, one of the most referenced Supreme Court justices in history, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who sat on the bench in the early 20th century, was known for his stances that could be described as relativistic. Holmes once wrote this, the best Test of truth is the power of the thought to get get itself accepted in the competition of the market. When commenting on international relations, he wrote this, the truth is decided by the country that can lick all the others. Holmes once intimated that truth is what the majority of people say it is. Now that's a dangerous idea, but don't we recognize that sentiment in our own culture? Truth is what the majority of people say it is. Ever since our fall into sin, it has been hard to believe in absolute truth. We've been prone to believe that we know what's best, that we can order our lives according to our own truth, that truth is relative and subjective, that it can change from generation to generation. That's a reality for lots of people. Ever since the fall, we've had a strained relationship with truth. You might ask, what is truth? And whose truth are we talking about? We tend to be driven more by our feelings about what feels right in the moment, about what brings the most pleasure at the time, about how we can get ahead and look out for our own interests. Oftentimes, we just want something that feels good. And you know as well as I that the truth doesn't always meet that desire because the truth doesn't always feel good. But we all intuitively know that we cannot live in a world where there's no truth, where truth is relative, where there's no foundation, no floor holding you up. When we've got to personally and subjectively decide what is and what is not truth, it leads to internal panic and anxiety and pressure. It erodes the potential that we have for relationship and community between other people because we're playing according to different rules. It keeps us from seeing our deep need for God and His salvation, His rescue in our lives. Knowing that we can all be allergic to the truth and that without truth we can't actually engage in loving community 
We can't address deep needs in meaningful ways without it. We can't have a relationship with the God who created us without it. Knowing that we're not loving our neighbors or doing good to ourselves by living according to lies, by living to what we might call anti-reality, what are we supposed to do? What is the solution for a group of people who are often deceived by lies, both actively and passively in life? Well, the answer is we need something from outside of ourselves. We need someone to open our ears to the truth, to speak truth to us. And God knows this. It's actually why he provides his people with prophets through their long history. Now, it's worth stopping as we get started to define exactly what a prophet is. What's a prophet? Well, in the scriptures, a prophet is someone who speaks for God with God's authority, with God's very message. A prophet is a person that speaks for God, with God's authority, and with his very message. And a prophet is someone who comes to God's people and says, Thus saith the Lord. A phrase that you hear over and over again in the Old Testament. A prophet is a person who combats lies and seeks to speak the truth, even if it's painful to the people hearing that truth. And you see God, He graciously guides and teaches and calls His people to repent through the mouths of His prophets throughout the Old Testament. Think of Elijah and Elisha who spoke God's word to God's people. Think of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who wrote calling God's people to follow the ways of the Lord. Think of the so-called minor prophets. They're just minor because they're a little shorter, not less important. But they came and they warned God's people of coming discipline if they wouldn't repent. These prophets, they were graciously given by God. It was a gift. They stood between God and man. And they would speak God's very words as an authorized spokesperson to His people. And how were God's people to know they were listening to a true prophet? Well, we see in verse 22 of our passage where we read, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that's a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Well, if the prophet's word came to pass, it validated the prophet and it gave him credibility is what Moses is saying. And there were many prophets in the Old Testament who did not speak for the Lord. They would preach peace, peace when there was no peace. The words they spoke didn't come to pass. So you could know a prophet is speaking with God's authority if what they said came true, if their words actually matched reality. And sometimes it would take a while to discern if someone was a true prophet. Well, that's a quick general overview of the role of a prophet from the Old Testament. And it sets us up to understand and appreciate the forward-looking promise we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God assures His people in verse 15 when He says this. Look at it, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to Him you shall listen. And then again in verse 18 we read, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Well, this is Moses. You have to remember writing and speaking in Deuteronomy 18. Arguably the greatest prophet that God's people ever had. And he's talking about God raising up another prophet to come that will speak God's word truthfully. 
Now, most biblical scholars recognize that Moses has a specific prophet in mind here, a prophet par excellence, you might say, one who was better than all the others. And as you follow along the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, what you notice is that they're around for a bit and then they're gone. Think about it. They eventually all died. Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Jeremiah, all of their prophetic words came to an end at some point. Yet the promise from Deuteronomy 18 remains. God's promise of raising up a great prophet who would speak the word of God with even more clarity and authority than Moses himself. All other prophets pointed to this great prophet. And you even have the last prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist, who's actually found on the pages of the New Testament, interestingly enough. And when people begin to experience his ministry, they immediately ask him the question. In John chapter 1, they ask, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet we've been waiting for? Hearkening back to Deuteronomy 18. And he says, John the Baptist does, that he's not. There was one greater than him who would appear shortly. He was the prophet they were waiting for. And that greater prophet we now know to be Jesus. The one that John the Baptist came to point us to. And this is the case the author of Hebrews makes as we begin his letter. Look at the first two verses in Hebrews chapter 1 where we read, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The author of Hebrews here is telling us that God has finally made good on his promise to provide the prophet like Moses. That he doesn't leave us without a voice to guide us and direct us through this world. That God speaks to us most profoundly and ultimately through his son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And Peter, in his sermon found in Acts 3, and Stephen, in his sermon found in Acts chapter 7, actually tie Jesus directly to the prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18, quoting Deuteronomy 18 in their sermons. But Jesus was even better than Moses. Because according to Hebrews, looking at Jesus is like looking at a mirror in God, at God himself. In verse 3, we read that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. In the phrase, imprint of His nature, in this verse, it refers to the exact impression left on a coin by a stamp. It's as though the exact imprint of the Father's very nature and glory has been precisely reproduced in the soft metal of the Son's human nature. Now, it's there for all the world to see. If you want to see God, where do you look? You look to Jesus. The author of Hebrews is saying that God had for a long time been sending advanced sketches of himself to his people, graciously providing human prophets to speak truth into their lives. But now, at long last, in these end times, God has given us his exact portrait. The writer invites us to look at the whole sweep of biblical history and see it coming to a climax in Jesus. According to Hebrews, God wasn't satisfied with just speaking to us. He wanted to come to be with us. The author of Hebrews begins and ends his book by inviting people to fix their eyes on Jesus. He is what all of the scriptures have pointed toward. 
He's what we're meant to be looking at, the true and better prophet that God has always promised. Jesus is who God's people need. Jesus is who we need. He's the prophet that we've been promised. The prophets in the Old Testament tended to be self-effacing. Think about it. Bringing or beginning their message uh, with saying, Thus saith the Lord. But Jesus is self-referential. He says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks on his own authority and people are amazed with the authority by which he speaks. All former prophets in the Old Testament, they spoke for God, but Jesus is the prophet speaking as God. The very word of God, according to John chapter 1. Jesus is the very embodiment of God's prophetic message. He is what God wants to say to you. The very word of God made flesh, the great prophet par excellence. Now, you might be listening this morning thinking, that's great. Hey, long ago, God spoke to us by prophets, and he's spoken to us more recently by sending his son. But what about now? Why am I not really hearing anything now? Where's God's voice in the specifics of my life? I mean, if we're honest, it sometimes feels like we're receiving the silent treatment from God. You could be coming to church week in and week out and feel like you've never really heard from him, never connected to him. Often we can feel much like God's people were feeling when they experienced 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. It's known as the intertestamental period. Before Jesus came, before the better and true prophet arrived, over 400 years passed and God's people had heard nothing from God. These are known as the 400 silence years and that silence, it must have been hard to bear. It must have been weighing down on God's people, especially when you consider the slavery and the oppression to other nations that characterized so much of their existence over those 400 years. And in the middle of all their troubles, God's people must have been wondering, where's God? Where's the word of the Lord? Does he really care? Why doesn't he show up and help us? And I think we can relate to these people who experienced God's silence before the arrival of Jesus. Because we too oftentimes experience circumstances and seasons in life where we wonder, where is God? Does He really care about what's happening to me right now? Why doesn't He show up? Why doesn't He just give me a word of encouragement or comfort or hope this morning? And we've all felt this way at one point or another, times when we're discouraged, when things seem to be getting worse, not better. Times where we want God to speak to us in a special way. And you think about all your relationships, your marriage, maybe it's not what you expected and it only seems to be growing colder. Or you think about relationship with your kids and it's strained and it's not really the family dynamic that you had hoped for when you started out on your parenting journey Bushy eye, bush, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? You've been struggling with self-doubt and depression for years. You live with the secrets of being abused by a close family member. The temptation constantly seems to be nagging and it just won't go away. Heartbreaking news that someone you love has been diagnosed with cancer, another terminal illness. It's in seasons like this where we want God to show up, where we want a word from Him. 
The things in life we experience that leave us wondering, where's God? Does He really care about what's happening? Why doesn't He do something or at least say something? And we slowly begin to wonder if we've done something wrong. Maybe God's angry. Maybe He's disappointed. Maybe He just doesn't really care. Maybe you deserve the silent treatment. But the encouraging news that we read from Hebrews this morning is that God doesn't remain silent. In the midst of our difficulties and struggles, our failures and temptations, God has sent His Son for us. We don't have to get over those things before we can hear a word from Him. We can hear a word from Him while we're experiencing those things. He came to identify with us so that we might hear God's words of truth and encouragement and even approval in our lives. And by way of application, we've got to ask ourselves two questions this morning. The first question is, are you in a place to receive God's word? Where can you hear God's truth spoken in your life? Do you ever think about intentionally putting yourself in a position where you can receive God's word, where you might be able to hear his prophet speaking to you? Now, you're here this morning, so the answer to that question is yes in many ways. But like we've mentioned in the past, as you consider what that might look like, especially during this season of hoping and waiting, it can be really helpful to think about sleep. You can't force sleep, right? In fact, the more you force yourself to sleep, the less likely you are to fall asleep. But you can put yourself in the right place and the right conditions for sleep to happen. You lay down in bed. You turn out the lights in your room, you get under the covers, you lay your head on a soft pillow, you might turn on the fan or the air conditioning. Sleep is a gift that we can welcome by intentionally being in the right place. We can't force it, but we can put ourselves in that position. And it's the same with the gift of God's Word in so many ways. Are we placing ourselves in the right places to receive it? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we engaged when we listen to God's Word preached? Did you know the 30 to 35 minutes that you're sitting here listening to me preach is you worshiping the Lord? How you listen to Him actually matters? Are we praying and asking God to open our ears? That's the first question. Are we placing ourselves in the right places? Are we making it easy or hard to hear God's message? And the second question we've got to ask ourselves is, will you believe what you hear? Because you might hear God speak, but it's hard to believe. Think about the words we often hear from our world and how prone we are to believe them without much discernment at all. Words that tell us to be afraid. Voices that stir our worries and our anxieties. Or think about the words that you hear in your own heart, that you're not worthwhile or that you're unforgivable or that you're unlovable if people really knew who you were. And through that cacophony of voices and messages, God's word, his prophetic message cuts through and wants to tell us a completely opposite message. It says that if you're in Christ, you can rest secure in God's sovereignty. That if you're in Christ, you are a dearly beloved child of the King. That if you're in Christ, God looks at you with loving affection, not disgust. Did you know that researchers have found that a child in the womb can recognize its mother's voice from other voices? Though the child hasn't yet seen its mother, though it hasn't yet been held by its mother, 
that child can still recognize its mother's voice. What about us? Can you recognize the true and comforting voice of Jesus amidst the false and fear-inducing voices of our culture? In John chapter 10, Jesus says that his sheep listen to his voice, they hear his voice, they follow his voice. In the middle of all the voices screaming for our attention, can you hear the word of Christ? Can you distinguish the voice of Christ among the other voices? If you're not hearing his voice, what can you do to tune your ears to his voice? And if you're hearing his voice this morning, even though it's faint, you should praise the Lord. You're a child of God. One of his sheep that recognizes the voice of the shepherd. What do you hear when God speaks? What does Jesus, the great prophet, say when he sees the way that you struggle to walk faithfully in this world characterized by sin? Look, if you're in Christ this morning, hopefully you hear things like this. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. God has spoken, and he continues to speak to us corporately and individually on a weekly basis, words of life to us through His great prophet, Jesus Christ. And as we enter this Advent season, it would be worthwhile turning our ears away from the noise all around us, trying to convince us to be fearful and anxious and busy, and intentionally tune our ears so that we might better hear God's gracious and loving voice in our lives. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, Jesus Christ, the final revelation that you will make to us, the perfect message that reveals who you are and how deeply you love us. We pray that we would make him the controlling voice that dictates how we live in this fallen world. We thank you for being so gracious, not leaving us to ourselves, not leaving us to figure out ourselves, but you have come to show us who you are. And we pray this morning that you would help us to believe that more deeply. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.